Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx, uh, joining you today from our back in the Lynx Golf Studio in the office here on Hilton Head for the first time in a, in a while. Feels pretty good. Uh, and it also feels good to be face to face with a guest, which I haven't done in a long time, as you might imagine. But fortunately enough, uh, my guest today has been holing up in, in Hilton Head as well. So uh, he joins me from across the desk and his name is Eric Sedransk. Eric, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing great, Al. Thanks for having me. And it's funny you say that today was actually the first day I put jeans on in two and a half months. So wow. I've been uh, mainly in sweatpants and, and shorts the last couple. Probably months. since you left New York, I would assume. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So Eric, uh, his alter ego is member for a day on Instagram. You may have heard of that. Some of our listeners, I'm sure, have seen his pictures, uh, some of his content on Instagram, on the Lynx Instagram or, or his personal uh, account. So I wanted Eric to join me today because we've become friends and and he's been involved in something very, very unique and cool recently that has helped uh, and will help a lot of people in the New York area and and people uh, who have bid on this auction will get to play some places, some courses they may have never dreamed of playing, but can now check off their bucket list. Um, So Eric, before we get into all that, I just kind of wanted to get into your background and who you are and, and why you started member for a day, the Instagram account. Yeah, sure. So I guess who I am, I grew up uh, in the suburbs of New York and uh, actually took to golf sort of late. I was a three-sport athlete growing up, soccer, basketball, and lacrosse. And um, I injured my neck. I had a herniated disc in my neck um, from lacrosse in high school. And ultimately that sort of ended my chance of playing college sports. And so then around that time and through college, I basically started to, um, fall in love with the game of golf. Uh, and that sort of was, it was a slow process over time. I never played competitively growing up or anything. I think the first, you know, state tournament I played, I was probably 26 or 27, which was still one of the most nervous uh, times of my life. But, you know, golf has always, ever since then has been a passion for me. It's, it's never been work. You know, my, my background in terms of my, my traditional, my career, uh, has been running business development for tech companies, mainly in New York city. Um, but all the while I just, golf has just always been there and it's just come natural. Um, like I just went to the PGA show one year just for fun. And so, you know, you asked about why I started member for a day about five years ago, uh, for a variety of reasons, I started getting invited to some amazing golf courses. You mentioned it before of, of really just courses that I had actually had dreams about. I mean, I remember vividly having a dream of playing Sauk and Valley. And then next thing you know, I'm there and I'm not just there. I'm playing 54 holes. I'm staying overnight on property. I'm eating dinner at the bar, sitting next to members, yucking it up and just, you know, I, I really had to pinch myself. And you know, I think part of it was obviously just basically like a travel journal to, to sort of document where I'm going and where I've been. But, you know, for me, member for a day has always been less about me and more about trying to get 
others to understand or uh, try to feel what it's like to be a member for a day at a golf course, right? And so, mm. yeah, I can I can take great photos of beautiful holes. That kind of just comes natural. And I think my opinion is that beautiful holes kind of photograph themselves, at least if you do it at the right time of day in the right light. But for me, I try to highlight things that you would only really notice if you were there. So maybe it's the sound of a of a bub- of a brook going by or a, a random little bridge or or like one of my favorite things is is random pathways that maybe cut through the woods because most people are hopping on carts and if you walk through it's just like a beautiful little nature trail and for me that's really what member for a day is about that I'm trying to convey virtually what it's like to to experience playing these incredible golf courses yeah and that that in a way speaks to maybe your giving sort of nature. You want to give people a a chance to experience certain things or in what we're kind of talking about today and and you're giving back to people who are struggling or, or really, really need the help. And because of this platform that you kind of built for yourself, it allowed you to uh, make some connections, see some different avenues and figure out a way that you could possibly put something together. So uh, Eric and I met because he similar to maybe how this auction got kind of put together. You yeah. reached out to me on, on the Instagram account. I, I don't even know if you knew who I was, but you reached out to links magazine right. on Instagram and, right. and said, you know, Hey, I'm down in Hilton head. You want to play golf sometime? Let me know. I said, <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll play golf. Yeah. So we met up over at Palmetto hall where your parents live, your mom lives That's right. now played some golf, got to know each other and played nine holes and the second time we played with each other eric started talking about this idea of of (laughs) spurned from the fact that you're down here in hilton head and so much different from new york right now obviously but where did your idea for an auction uh, to help people where did that come from yeah so it's um you know if you rewind the tape i think we met about two months ago And at that point I was unemployed and, um, going into one of the worst pandemics in our lifetime. And so, you know, I'm thinking to myself, am I really going to sit here and spend my time just blindly applying to jobs when there's a 99% likelihood that I'm not going to get a job at this point. And so it was really a few things. One was, it was this change of mindset was the first thing instead of saying, I'm going to spend my time getting a job. It was, how can I be productive? So a much more holistic approach about how do I want to spend my time? Um, And thinking about things less about making money and more about making a difference. And that was the first big change. The second thing was... Like you said, I I left New York City on March 16th. I drove down here with a friend and have been quarantined ever since. And I feel incredibly blessed. The golf courses, as you know, didn't close here for one day. The beach is closed, but it was pretty laid back. So I was still going for afternoon beach walks, you know, working out on my back deck and getting sun on my face, you know, all in all feeling like life was pretty good. And when I would speak to friends who were back in New York City, they're stuck in their 600 square foot apartments, haven't been outside in two weeks. Essentially, I, I had an immense amount of guilt. And I think guilt is one of those emotions that can be very powerful. And it really ultimately led me down this path of, of how, can, how I can help. 
And in general, in, in my past experiences, I really like actually doing the work. So in this case, it would be, you know, helping people out, delivering meals, but just given the fact that I'm currently and was currently living with my mother, you know, I can get sick, but I couldn't get her sick. And so actually doing the work wasn't really in the cards for me. And so I just started to think, what, what can I do to help? Basically, what assets do I have at, at, um, at my disposure that I can use. And what I do have is uh, a decent following on Instagram of avid golfers and a relatively good uh, network of connections of either head pros, assistant pros, or members of really, really beautiful golf courses. And um, one day I just said, you know what, just classic entrepreneurship, I'm just gonna start reaching out to some courses and see what they say. And, um, Actually, the first course I reached out to was Rolling Green in uh, just outside Philly, which is a, a wonderful golf course. It's actually, I consider it the best routing I've ever played. It's a very small piece of property. And I reached out to, to Scott, who's the head pro there, just an awesome guy. And I reached out and, and he said yes. And, you know, I'd like to think that even if he said no, I would have continued down this path. But I think those early wins in anything you do, but especially new ventures, getting an early win is so crucial for the, for just the mindset. And that was really all I needed. And from that point forward, I just, I just went full steam ahead. Obviously I got a lot of no's. Um, this was certainly not, not an easy process. I, I was prospecting or not prospecting. I was reaching out to, to courses for, for a good two and a half weeks. And, you know, a lot of courses are, are limited. Some courses, their bylaws say they can't even donate. Um, a lot of them, you have to have member sponsors. So a lot just said, we, we love what you're doing. We'd love to help, but we can't. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I totally understand that. But, you know, some of them said yes. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that I didn't really know when to stop because I could have just kept reaching out to more and more courses and, and probably just gotten more. But it's one of those things that the need is now. Um, and so, you know, eventually we got to the point where we had about 20 golf courses. If I remember the number correctly, um, we, we went live at the auction at that point. And, and you ended up with, you know, almost a who's who of, of names of golf courses out there. Pretty amazing. You're talking about Shinnecock, Friars Head, Mid-Ocean Club, um, Medalist, where they just had the match to Sleepy Hollow, one of people people's favorite courses up in the New York area, Valhalla, Ryder Cup venue, Prestwick overseas, Sweetens Cove, the Darling hmm. in Tennessee, and, uh, and a couple of, you know, not necessarily just around, but a membership with Dormy Network, which is a tremendous value for yeah. what it actually ended up going for. Yeah. And um, I think there was, I can't remember the name of the, almost like a top golfer virtual golf. Yeah, um, like five iron. Party of 15 five at five iron. Golf, iron. That's like right. that's pretty cool. Yep. Um, and they have locations in there in New York, Baltimore, Philadelphia, and Chicago. Yeah. So, I mean, from where you started and, and where you ended up, yeah, was there one club in particular you were just like, you got to be kidding me that they said yes. Uh, and once you started and got to the point where you said, let's go on this auction, you yeah. know, I mean, what was that feeling like? Yeah. So, um, there was, um, and, um, so I, like I said, at one point I just had to say on Thursday, we're done, we're going live with this. And I mm -hmm. kind of just drew that line in the sand and 
the night before, so this was Wednesday night, the night before we went live, I, I got a call from a friend. So the story is that I was invited to play a round of golf last fall, three guys I'd never met before and just really stayed in touch kind of like you and I. And I think that's what's so great about the game of golf is the relationships. One of the guys, he knew a member at a really good course. And so, uh, I told him what I was doing. He said, do you want me to reach out? And I said, yeah, I mean, but you know, I wasn't really expecting anything. So the night before the auction, uh, he called me and, um, he said he's in and that was Shinnecock. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was a, that was a seminal moment. I mean, to, to get a, to get a course like, like Shinnecock was, uh, he, I, I was speechless, I guess, even just right now, I kind of am a little bit, it was a stunning revelation, frankly, and it gives me chills just even thinking about it. And so, you know, that, the, I, there's a bunch of moments that happen along this journey, but that was certainly one, at least before the auction went, that was like, wow, this, this could be something. Yeah. I mean, I can see it in your face. Yeah. Like you talk and it's just like <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's the number four course in the country. Yeah. I mean, and, and listen, you know, it's a bucket list course for everyone. I mean, I've walked it for the US Open. I've never played it before either. Um, so just the fact that a member was willing to donate his time uh, and obviously the cost of, of the guest fees to host strangers there was just, just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and again, it was a friend of a friend. So someone that's never even met me, it was a microcosm, I think for things to come. Mm-hmm. So you set the auction up for a week. Basically people could submit bids. You had a website on rally up Yeah, pretty, you know, simple people have seen that set up before. So go online and place your bid and try to see where that went. And you started at a goal of $50,000, which I imagine was probably, you still felt like, like that's way above what I think I'm probably going to get, but you know, aim high, aim high. Sure. Absolutely. And what started happening over the course of the week? Yeah. So we went live, um, Thursday night and I remember that the beginning was, was pretty good. I, I I think, you know, kind of purposely, um, price some, some auction items lower because I wanted people to be interested in sort of getting, getting the bidding going. And from my understanding of, of just the way the auction works is generally a lot of the stuff happens in the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of just expected like the wave would come early, then it would just be like dry as the Sahara. And then the last night would be crazy. So 24 hours later, we had raised $12,000 already. And so if you extrapolate the math out, that's well above $50,000 on seven days. So I knew that we were looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. But the really interesting part of the story is all of a sudden I started getting DMs on Instagram from people that I've never met before, reaching out who learned about my cause from a variety of sources. Actually, I don't even really know how they learned about it, potentially from Lakes Magazine, and were moved enough to offer to donate a round to someone they've never met at some of the greatest golf courses in the world. And again, not to, not to reiterate, but I mean, you mentioned the list before. I mean, these were, even the people reaching out to me, incredible golf courses. I mean, either, either top 100 national, top 200 national, top in state, top 100 modern, top 100 classic, they were all on lists. 
So they were reaching out on their own volition and, and just saying, we saw what you're doing and we want to be involved in it. Yes. That's awesome. I mean, I could put, I, maybe I should do a collage or something and put together all these emails that I received because some of them were just beyond my wildest expectations. I mean, some people would just reach out and just say, this is incredible. I, uh, you know, and I'm, uh, thank you for doing this. I mean, like, when do you get emails like that? Yeah. Um, which were just honestly, just, just as heartwarming to me as the people who actually donated rounds. But essentially all of a sudden we started getting a lot more rounds donated and, um, it's, it's hard for me to even believe that this happened, but like I said, we launched with 20 golf courses. We ended with 48. So more than 50% of the rounds that were auctioned off on, on our site were from people that I've never met before who just reached out on Instagram or were moved by mm -hmm. the story. Was anyone like questioning or just like, is this real? Like, is this a real thing? If I give you money, then they I actually, have a chance. They actually or, weren't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I could completely understand why they would be. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, maybe, uh, you know, I think just given the nature of everything that's going on right now, I think everyone just really wants to help. Yeah, sure. And, um, so maybe everyone's guard is just a little bit lower than it normally is. And, um, you know, I guess thankfully they donated to someone who's, you know, a hundred, I didn't take a penny from this. A hundred percent of the proceeds that were raised, um, are going straight to the organization that, you know, we can discuss later. Yeah, sure. How about the last night? Um, <laughs> where were you at? Like going into the final day? Yeah. Um, and then describe to me, I know you said you threw it up on the monitor and we're, and we're watching the progress. Describe to me what was going on there. Yeah. So with about three hours to go, we were at $65,000 raised. So if I think that was like 120 odd percent over goal. So I'm ecstatic at this point, right? I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm calling friends saying, man, we blew our goal out. When I, I mean, when I told friends we were going to raise $50,000, I thought I was crazy because I have, I have no background in nonprofit fundraising. I mean, I just, this is all new to me. But like I said before, I had this hunch that there was going to be a bunch of people just waiting on the sidelines because, you know, I guess in a, in a seven day auction, I can understand why you wouldn't bid on day three and you would just wait until the end. And so for the last hour, I tossed up the, I basically had sort of like a behind the scenes view of this, obviously, so I could see every bid coming in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so almost like a stock market, stock market view. Sure. And uh, I tossed that up on the TV and just sat back and watched the last hour. And it was just mind boggling. And it just, it slowly started to accelerate and the one moment that I will never forget about this entire experience was when the bid for Shinnecock came in with one minute left for $11,000, you know, cause it had been trending at like six and then seven. It was slowly kind of, which I could not believe to, to me, that was, a, a, you know, obviously a substantial amount of money for a round of golf. But even with, with five minutes to go, I think it was at 9,000. And then boom, straight to 11,000. Somebody just said, screw it. Like no That's one's right. going to beat me on That's this. That's right. Um, this is mine. <laughs> yeah. I'm playing Shinnecock. <laughs> and I, I mean, I nearly fell out of my chair. I stood up and just, you know, 
put my, my, my hands over my face and just really couldn't believe it. And, you know, so the auction ends and the numbers like take a while to tally up. So I don't even know what the total is. And eventually it all gets figured out. And the number was, um, if I'm doing this math correct, it was 95,790, I believe is the number. So in the last three hours, we raised $30,000. Yeah. Um, wow. But the last, the last story about that evening, which again, will, will really stick with me for a while is the auction ends. And I, I get a bunch of messages from people, you know, uh, the auction site didn't work or, you know, I ran out of time. Can you get another round here? You know, I totally understand that. I probably would have done the same thing if I lost a bunch of them. I didn't feel comfortable reaching out to my donors. They've shown generosity, especially these members who I, I've never even met before. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of these places I have some pretty good relationships. I've met them before, whether it's the members that had pros. And so, um, one guy had reached out and I said, um, you know, let me ask. I'll try. Worst comes to worst. They just say no. And so I reached out to, um, I had pro of one of the clubs and I said, Hey, this is the deal. Uh, this guy really wanted to play here. He lost. Um, he said, you know, he, he'll match the winning bid if you'd offer up a secondary round. And I made it very clear. I said, if not, that's totally fine. Right. Like I never want any of, of the people donating to feel any responsibility to be any more generous than they want to be. And, um, he, this was over Instagram. He said, if he pays $4,210 to get you to an even hundred thousand dollars, I'll do it and host a second round. And, um, the guy said yes. And so that got us to six figures, which was, I think just from a mental perspective was astonishing. Sure. Um, you know, there's, for some reason, there's some, a huge difference between 95,000 and a hundred. Yeah. It's and like breaking if shoot 80 or, or 78, something perfect. like that. Exactly. Like, yeah. I can understand. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, we broke that threshold, um, and obviously over 200% to goal. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, again, another moment that I'll, that I'll never forget. Awesome. So six figure donation, hundred thousand dollars to project frontline. Yeah. So you ended up donating the, the proceeds towards, um, why did you pick them? Uh, what's their initiative? And it's in, in specifically based in New York. No, they're actually not. Or, they're not. Um, are they nationwide, but are you? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So the benefactor. Yeah. So, um, you know, while I was reaching out to these courses, it's kind of like anytime you get into business, it's usually like, do you put, you know, the chicken or the egg theory? Like, what do you do first? And so as I was reaching out to these courses and started seeing some interest, I realized, okay, now I got to figure out where this money's going to go to, which I thought was easy. And it's funny how moms are usually right. My, my mother was the one saying, you know, you should probably start reaching out to nonprofits because um, you're going to want to speak to them. You know, you can get a bunch of information from the website, but you re- it's really nice to speak to someone and understand. And so, I actually had my heart set on one charity in particular and after speaking to them, they'll remain nameless, but it was, it was a larger one. Um, it's kind of in the news lately. They've raised a lot of money. You know, we're talking about 50 to a hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I listen, I, when I started this, I was expecting maybe I could raise 25 to 30 grand. Um, and that would be amazing. But mm-hmm. what's 25 grand if you're raising $50 million, you know? And so I spoke to them and, and, you know, I get it They're They need to focus on, on where their biggest efforts, you know, where they're going to raise the most money. So I just didn't really get a, get a good feeling for them. And so, um, actually a friend of mine who, who works at the Dormy network, uh, we were, we were conversing about this. As you mentioned, they were immensely 
uh, generous uh, for my auction, but they also provided some insight and they said, um, you should check out Project Frontline. And I said, great, you know, would love an intro. And so Project Frontline was started by Allie LaForce, who's a sideline reporter. Um, she does a lot of college basketball work. And her husband, Joe Smith, is a pitcher for the Astros. They do a lot of uh, charitable work on their own, completely separate from Project Frontline. Um, but Project Frontline kind of spun out of a need, obviously, um, from the pandemic of coronavirus. And so the way that their organization works is they buy meals at local restaurants across cities above their price. So the restaurants actually make some money. They can bring employees back in um, and actually make a profit. And then the meals are delivered to local area hospitals to feed frontline hospital workers. So that could be receptionists, janitors, um, nurses, doctors as well. And so they've, they've done a few different cities, but they have yet to go in New York. And so, you know, obviously New York has kind of quickly become the epicenter of this, uh, the greatest need, you know, the most challenging logistics. And so now that the, the auction has ended, there's, uh, Let's just put it this way. It's not it's not easy to get 10,000 meals delivered. So we're working through that right now. What's really exciting is Project Frontline is part of a, a larger sort of network of a group called Athletes and Causes. And so they're a group that manage manages several athletes, nonprofit initiatives. And so oftentimes um, when one of the nonprofits does something, they try to bring a bunch of professional athletes in. And so Johnny Damon of the Yankees is most likely going to be part of this. Um, he's going to probably come to New York because uh, I don't think he lives there anymore. He's also a huge golfer. By the way, so we're hoping to to you know either get him on the golf course or maybe a potential future donation. Who knows? Um, but Johnny's going to be involved. Maybe bring a bunch of other Yankees to actually help with the donations to the to the area hospitals. That's fantastic, man! Yeah. Congratulations again <laughs> on you. on everything. That's it's really cool. Yeah. While I have you, I'll, I'll shift gears now that we, <laughs> we talked how, about how great that was. And, you know, I've seen rolling through your Instagram account and, and having conversations with you and seeing a, a lot of the fantastic places you've gotten the chance to play. I wanted to ask what your favorite place that you've ever played is, if you can whittle that down to one or, or maybe two yeah, places. For me, you know, I'm, I've never been a top 100 list chaser. I'm more interested in, in experiences and fun and different. And, uh, for me without question, my favorite experience so far has been Bally Neal. So Bally Neal, for those that aren't too familiar with it, it is a top 100 golf course for what it's worth. I think, um, digest ranked it it's top 50. I want to say 46 or something. Mm -hmm. I actually was, was recently past Castle Pines as the best in Colorado, which I think uh, some people were quite upset about that, mm. but could not be too, like I actually went from, from Castle Pines to Bali and they are completely and utterly different. They're also Castle Pines is right outside Denver. And then you, you leave and you drive three hours East in the middle of nowhere to Holyoke, Colorado. And I went there with my cousin who's uh, a golfer, but, but, not like me, not a, it's not his passion. And so we leave Denver where we were staying with our, our family member and going out to dinner and we're just driving into the sticks mm -hmm. and it was at night and it happened, which is quite common with that area to be, um, during a thunderstorm and there was lightning. And like the only things you see are just giant silos at farms. 
And um, we pulled into the dirt road and as the lightning was crashing, um, we could just see glimpses of the, the landforms of Bowie Neal because it's built in the Sandhills, which is normally associated with Nebraska, but this is basically just west of Nebraska. And it's just land that you do not believe exists in the United States. Hmm. And it is just one of these experiences that, you know, thanks to some generous uh, donors, actually, I was able to auction off a stay and play for four there, which um, that guy's going to have a lot of fun. I'll tell you that. Um, it's just an incredible experience. You know, there's no pool, there's no tennis courts. Um, there is, I think, a shooting range. I think it's a golf and hunt club, but they have a 13 hole. It's uh, Everything's designed by Tom Doak, who's my favorite architect. The 13 hole par three course called the Mulligan course. It's probably the most fun you can ever have on a golf course. The greens are wildly undulating. Just actually, we didn't even go to the driving range. I never even saw it. We use the par three course as a warm up because mm-hmm. their guest fee is a day pass. Whatever the rate is, you play as much golf as you want for as long as the light is uh, is up. So, you know, we started at whatever, I don't know, 6 a.m. or something. And we got out on the par three course um, and we just had a blast. And then we went out in the championship course and it's just spectacular. Um, Doak just carved this course out of the sand dunes. Uh, it's super fun. It's firm and fast, like a Lynx course. But I think what stays with me the most is in the afternoon, it's just a very laid back place. You know, if you want to put your hat backwards, I don't think they really mind the afternoon round. We, we had music playing from our bags. We were drinking milkshakes from the clubhouse. We were just having a ball. Yeah. And you know, nobody's out there saying, keep your hat forward, keep your shirt tucked in. It's just about disconnecting. I mean, really disconnecting. There's, there's not much cell service out there and, and really being one with nature. I think about like the band dunes kind of experience. And it's like that times a hundred. Oh, wow. Ringing endorsement there. That <laughs> makes me want to get out there. Yeah. How yeah. many did you get in, in the day? Uh, started at 6 a.m.? Yeah. So we did one round in the mall again, 18 holes, lunch, and then another 18 holes. Okay. So yeah, 13, 13 on the short course and then another 36 on the champ. Yeah. You got, you got your money. We got our money's worth for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about, so your two homes, Yeah. Hilton Head and the tri-state or, or New York area. Yeah. Do you have one in each place or one course that sticks out that you, you really enjoy? Yeah. Um, Hilton head. That's an easy answer. Uh, as long as we're talking about actually on Hilton head Island, proper. On Hilton head yeah. Island, yes. um, without, without a doubt, long cove is my favorite course here. I think, you know, it consistently gets, well, actually we spoke about this recently. I, I actually thought it was kind of a known entity nationally. And, uh, it's really not. And I think a lot of that has to do with, it is next door, as you know, to Harbor town, which, which Mm -hmm. hosts the heritage every year. And and listen, Harbor town's a wonderful course as well, but long cove is one of Pete Dye's greatest designs. And the reason I think that is because what it does so beautifully, which is very, very, very difficult to do as a designer or as an architect is to make a course playable for the high handicappers and, and women golfers, mm-hmm. especially retirees, which they have, a, uh, I think a pretty strong female uh, retiree membership at Long Cove while also challenging, extremely challenging uh, for the scratch golfers. And that's really hard to do. So there's not a lot of force carries, you know, typical Pete Dye. It's, it's tight corridors. You got to be able to shape the shots. It's, it's a special place. I've, I've had the chance to play there too. And I, I knew it was Pete Dye. I played decent. I thought it, it as from any Pete Dye course I've played, I thought it was the fairest yes. test Yeah, that he's 
thrown at me so far. Yeah. And maybe Alice has a lot to do with that. And, yeah. and speaking in terms and I thought, of, I thought Harbor town was fair too. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of are in that vein, but just, I don't know, for some reason, long cove just has more character. It's more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the holes are much more, there's much more variety of holes for some reason, oftentimes like at Harbor town, and this is rare for me because in a weird way, I kind of have a photogenic memory of golf holes, but sometimes the 11th and 12th holes at Harbor town, which I've walked probably a hundred times for the heritage, I confuse them because mm-hmm. um, they seem so similar to me. So long cove, that's just not the case. I mean, there are some, I mean, what is it? That short par four, the fourth, I think it is with that giant mound that protects the green. Yeah. So it's blind. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's a weird hole. That's a very weird hole. And I, right. I feel like you and I could probably have just a podcast just on that talking about, is it good? Is it bad? But all I know is it's different Yeah. in classic Pete dive form. And, and it certainly makes you think, I mean, all it is, is just a, a long or mid iron wedge but you can't see the green. Yeah. So, totally. Um, so when you want to play another time, just now that you've figured out what's right. actually going on, you're like, all right, we'll play that's this right. again. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It's a shame. They were going to host a uh, U.S. Open qualifier at Long Was Cove. that this year? It was supposed to be this oh, year. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. Um, so, unfortunately. Hopefully next year. Yeah. Hopefully they get that back. Yeah. Um, uh, how about up in New York? Yeah, that's that's a harder question. Um, And, um, you know, it's also like, what do we define as as the New York area? Um, Mm -hmm. True. You know, I think if if I'm talking about it in the broader sense, uh, there's no question. Fisher's Island is is the one that really stands out to me. It's just an incredible experience, incredible golf course. Again, I like fun and Fishers is like 6,600 from the tips. There's views everywhere. Every hole could not be more different from the next. Just an amazing place. And then I think if we're talking about kind of really closer to the New York City area, uh, for sure, Sleepy Hollow. You know, it, it's interesting because Gil Hans went in there and did a renovation recently. And I still haven't quite adapted to the renovations. And it's one of those things that I love that golf course so much before the renovation that I couldn't even believe they were renovating it. Um, it's almost like, you know, you meet the perfect woman and somehow they try to make her more perfect. It's like, no, like it was perfect already. So I'm still, I've played it a, a handful of times, or I think twice, or either once or twice after the renovation. And it, it, I, I'm still sort of adapting to it. They've taken a lot down a lot of trees. Um, but man, that golf course is spectacular. Uh, it's fun. It's challenging. Great membership. Amazing clubhouse. I mean, the views, you know, again. One of the most photogenic golf courses I've yeah. ever seen. I mean, the 16th hole is quickly becoming like the most photographed hole on Instagram mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. So, yeah, I'd have to say if it's if we're talking close to New York City, definitely Sleepy Hollow. Very good. How about um, any courses that are at the top of your your bucket list still left? Yeah, I mean, you know, I hate to say the obvious ones. Um, mm-hmm. You know, of course, Pine Valley. I mean, I've walked Pine Valley three times for the Crump Cup. And when I'm there, I actually, I very rarely even follow the matches that are going on. I just walk around the course. I've actually gone uh, all three times. I've brought a different person. So it's really cool to see someone else see it for the first time. I actually was speaking to someone about this earlier today. There's no question. It's the best golf course in the world. It's, it's not an if it's basically Pine Valley, then what's next. So that's of course, but I think, you know, the ones 
that basically I'm looking forward to the most um, once this pandemic is over is um, Scotland for sure. I, I've played in Ireland, but I haven't played in Scotland. So, uh, but I'm not looking, you know, I don't, I'm, I don't want to play the, the, the big name brand ones. I'm more interested in, in kind of the more local kind of basically ones where my money actually gets injected into the local economy, not some sort of large organization. And then uh, the other one is the Sandhills of Nebraska. So I've, you know, Bally Neal is right there. And actually a lot of times people combine that with that trip, but basically combining uh, Prairie Club, Dismal River and Sandhills is a trip that I have wanted to do for years. Mm -hmm. And it's just everything that I've heard is that will very likely be one of my favorite trips that I'll ever do in my life. Yeah. Well, let's hope you can get that in the books here <laughs> soon. If you need a partner out there, let me know. I will I'll indeed. see what I can do with my schedule. I will indeed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of, you know, where this has brought you and I don't know, have you thought about maybe even like if you were still working and, and not thinking about what you need to do and trying to trying to find a job or yeah. that that kind of materialized out of the fact that you had time to think about that right. sort of thing have you thought about what's next and and is this something that could materialize into a much bigger thing yeah yeah it's interesting to think, I mean, like I said, you were, you were probably one of the first people who knew that even I had this idea when we first played, you know, five weeks ago or so. And I mean, I definitely didn't say, you know, this is my grand idea to create a massive business. No, you not know? at all. Yeah, this was, was, yeah, this was uh, just an idea off the cuff of, like I said before, just a way to give back and, and really something to focus on, um, during a really strange time in the world. And so, you know, the, the short answer is that the response I've gotten has been like nothing else I've ever done in my life. And so I know I'm onto something. The question is what? The first thing I'll tell you is, without a doubt, we're gonna be doing more of these auctions. I've already gotten um, a lot of emails from people, actually, oddly enough, uh, a lot from the West Coast because self-admittedly, we were a bit light on the West Coast. I mean, again, I live in New York. I also spend time in Hilton Head, so not surprisingly, most of our courses were on the East Coast, especially concentrated in the Northeast. So we were a bit light in the West Coast. Uh, thankfully, some people have reached out and said um, they'd like to support the cause and have some contacts at some really nice courses in the West Coast. So if nothing else, you know, I'm not exactly sure at this point. I'm trying to flush it all out and figure out the next steps, but 100 percent, we're going to be doing more auctions. And so obviously stay tuned, follow my Instagram because everything goes through there. And um, yeah, I think the next one's going to be going to be big. The question is, how big is it actually going to get? Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. I wish you the best of luck. Again, your Instagram is member, the number four, a day. Uh, his name is Eric Sedransk. And we really appreciate him taking the time to stop by the office after lunch. And I know you got a busy afternoon, so <laughs> I'll let you roll. But but congrats, man. This, Thanks, is, this has been truly remarkable. Thank and you. I commend you for it. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care.